Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast for Tuesday, August 9th. Derek Van Riper, Al Melchior here on Prospect Tuesday, as it has come to be known on this episode. We'll dig into a few more players that were traded last week at the MLB trade deadline. Of course, we were uh, just about halfway through our episode when the Juan Soto trade first started to take shape. And even by the time that we signed off, that wasn't quite in the book. So we'll talk about the prospects that were moved in that trade. Of course, there were other deals, including a big one that sent three really good prospects to Cincinnati. Tyler Malley went the other way to Minnesota in that trade. We talked about the Logan O'Hoppy, Brandon Marsh swap. We may get to that one again. Lots of debuts and promotions to get to, some prospect injuries, and time permitting, a level roundup as we take a look back at what's going on at high A. So, Al, we begin with the Juan Soto trade. The prospects, of course, it wasn't just prospects. C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore, and Luke Voigt all going to D.C. But Robert Hassel, James Wood, and Harleen Sasana also going to D.C. in this trade. And I started thinking about Hassel a bit on Monday with a few sooner-to-graduate players ahead of him on most prospect lists. There's a chance that by this time next year, Robert Hassel could be the number one prospect in baseball. I think he easily could be. I've uh, been sort of anticipating that myself. And uh, yeah, we'll get to see him rise up through through a different organization. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, was a, you know, a, a pretty good haul for the Nationals and getting a couple of players in Hassel and in Wood that uh, offer some power speed, basically across the board, uh, across the board contribution profile. Uh, but uh, both of them probably a couple years removed from, from being uh, in the majors. And uh, you mentioned Susana uh, just pitching in the complex league so far as an 18 year old, but uh, good, good reports on him. And uh, it'll be interesting uh, now that the, the nationals have replenished their system a bit uh, to see uh, if they look like they can, can contend in a few years. Yeah. Susana throws really hard already. I think the big question will be, does he eventually develop a good third pitch? Does he have the command to be a starter, but a very electric arm joining that Nats system? And of course, can the Nats develop him? That's been a major problem for their organization for most of its existence. I know Steven Strasburg is great, but they didn't really develop Steven Strasburg. He sort of came ready right out of that draft as a pick that went 1-1, of course, in his draft class. So a lot of interesting names going back to Washington. James Wood playing at low A right now. I think if you redrafted his draft class from 2021, he'd be a first rounder. He was a second rounder. It's not like he fell that far, but he would move up, maybe even be like a top 10, top five sort of pick from that draft class. And he's made a lot of hard contact at low A. The tools are very good across the board. So I don't know if you could ever get appropriate value when you trade a player as good as Juan Soto, but the Nationals came really close if uh, if you can't get it. And maybe they actually will end up pretty happy with this in the long run because their farm system went from 
bottom five-ish on most organizational lists to easily inside the top 10, maybe having a path to the top five in the not-so-distant future. Uh, so I want to go back uh, to a couple of uh, players who are not technically prospects anymore, but in C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, because I, I find it's really hard to know what to expect from them going forward, because I, I definitely get the impression that Abrams was was rushed uh, in in making the, the opening day roster this year. I think it's still kind of hard to know exactly what kind of power he might be able to develop, what sort of plate discipline he could have. And with Gore, issues with walks there, that seems to be the bit, the biggest problem, uh, certainly in his time up with the Padres. But when you break down why there might have been a high walk rate for Gore, uh, I, I typically I look at three things for a pitcher with uh, walk issues. Chase rate, how frequently they're, they're locating in the zone, and how many first pitch strikes they're getting. All those indicators for Gore were decent. So I don't know if it's a question of sequencing or just not being able to, to to finish off a plate appearance, but it seems like maybe he's not far off from being a really good major league pitcher. Yeah, I think he's at least a mid-rotation guy. Like maybe the previous upon being drafted Clayton Kershaw comps were just always unfair and he'll never be a true frontline guy. But it also seemed like because of all the time he's missed in recent years, he maybe faded a little bit just from an endurance perspective. As the innings piled up, he became a little bit less effective, started off the season pitching really well. I, I think what he was able to do in 2022 is way more good than bad, especially given the starting point and how much the expectations had fallen. With C.J. Abrams, I traded him away. You and I play in a keeper league together, and it's a 16-team keeper league, and if you have a minor leaguer where you promote to the big leagues, you have that player at a very low price. It's $3 a year for the first three years, and then you can extend that player for additional years at $5 per year. I traded him away with prospect eligibility. He'd be an automatic $3 guy next year, having played enough in the major leagues. But part of the reason I was willing to trade him was that I think it's still going to be a little while before we get that power. Um, I think the injuries that he had in the upper levels of the minor leagues that cost him significant development time and I would agree with you that he was rushed because of need. I think the injury to Tatis ultimately paved the way for Abrams to come up even sooner than the Padres would have brought him up. And they're an aggressive organization. We've seen that for a while now. They'll bring players up when they think players are capable of handling some sort of big league role. Part of the the story with Abrams so far in the underlying numbers is the quality of the contact is still pretty low. The barrel rate for this season, 4.9%. Nothing to write home about right now. The max exit velocity at 108.2, just a good indication of, of raw power. Hardly the be-all, end-all for a player. Uh, if you take a look at players that have at least 100 batted ball events, that gets Abrams on the list over at Baseball Savant. He's ranked 239th out of 344. So it's not terrible. It's not bottom of the of the range. It's not... Nick Madrigal, it's not uh, Joey Wendell or Isaiah Kiner-Falefa or Miles Straw, right? It, it's it's closer to the middle of the pack than those guys. And given his age, I don't think it's impossible for him to get a lot stronger and to deliver on the power that scouts expect him to deliver on. I just looked at the situation as someone who was trying to win this year. I didn't think he was going to help me all that much in the short term. So the long-term future is still really bright. I think he's exactly the kind of player the Nationals wanted to headline this package, a major league-ready shortstop that 
they'll have in their organization for the next five seasons. Someone who can get a lot better and already has a very good floor. Controls the strike zone really well, at least tempers strikeouts. I think he will end up walking a good bit over time as well and has some speed, can play great defense up the middle. I just there's a There are a lot of ways for C.J. Abrams to be a good major league player, and there's still a path for him to be a great one. Yeah, that's... I, that's a really good breakdown, you know, looking at the, the max exit velocity and, and everything that he brings to the table because he is a work in progress. I do th- agree with you that it might not be even 2023 when we fully see uh, what he's capable of, uh, both fantasy-wise and in real baseball, but the, there's there's every reason to hope that he can still be a superstar. Yeah, other comps, just from a, a raw power perspective, max exit velo names that are nearby, Gavin Lux, 108.1 in the same range. Brandon Belt at 108.3. Kind of surprising to see that. Uh, Victor Robles, we're just going to look past that. 108.5. Chris <laughs> Taylor, 108.5. I mean, those, those guys mostly have some power. Dylan Carlson, not that far away at 108.7. And I think the key for me, again, is the age. You're not a finished product at 21. You can get a lot stronger and still add to that raw power in the not-so-distant future. Let's talk about the return that the Reds got in the Tyler Malley trade. Three prospects going back to Cincinnati in that trade. Spencer Steer, Christian Encarnacion Strand, and Stephen Hyar. That's the pronunciation I could find right now. Hopefully that's that's accurate. A pitching prospect that is a little further down most prospect lists. I think Steer and Encarnacion Strand are just so interesting because the Reds keep adding prospects on the left side of the infield and as we know if you have the athleticism and arm strength to play shortstop or even third base you could probably play other positions too so it's a good group of position players to hone in on and steer and encarnacion strand are two guys that i really didn't hear much of anything about prior to this season and as you look more and more at at what they've been able to do to this point uh, steer already up at triple a looks like a guy that we're probably going to see in the big leagues in early 2023. And Encarnacion Strand, I think, would probably qualify for prospect breakout list because he took a pretty big step forward with the Twins prior to this trade. Yeah, um, and he really is interesting because he's just mashed at AA and really is continuing to mash at that level uh, in his uh, first few games there in the red system. And he hasn't ranked really highly on prospect list. Like you said, some of those were preseason so really before this big breakout but even for example on mlb.com where they update those lists uh, strand i think just in the red system i think he's like in the teens uh and in their write-up they talk about how uh he's still got a lot of work to do on plate discipline so you know it's always a good reminder and a reality check that just because somebody's putting up great stats double a doesn't mean that um they won't face trouble as they move up to AAA and then eventually to the majors. So still pretty, pretty exciting to look at how much power and Canarsio Strand has, has created uh, this season. And Steer, he's just been a consistent power hitter at every stop. Uh, so he just just creates more of a log jam, like, like you said, uh, on the left side of the infield there. We've already got Jose Barrero uh, up now with the Reds, Eli De La Cruz and Matt McClain, uh, all a part of that mix and uh, all look like they could be very productive major leaguers it's just a question of what where they'll settle in uh if in fact they all do remain with the reds yeah i think that's uh, the question that will be sorted out in the next couple of seasons and um, you know a couple guys will probably just not work out as regulars a couple will probably parts of trades as they try and maybe get some pitching back down the road but uh i really like what the reds have been able to do 
even though, as I mentioned before, I wasn't crazy about the start of the rebuild. I thought they threw in the towel a little early, but they've done a really good job following through and getting a lot of value back in the organization. I think the big thing with Encarnacion Strand was that he was a little old for the level starting the season at high A, but you're happy with those numbers regardless of, of age for the level. He was a 22-year-old playing there. The double A numbers in a very limited sample just make you more excited that that was real and it's going to sustain as he continues to advance against better competition. Let's talk about Logan O'Hoppy for a moment, the catcher that was sent from the Phillies to the Angels. The Angels get their catcher of the future, and it's probably going to be as early as 2023 because I don't think there's really a whole lot there to block him. Max Stassi's the guy for now, but how does O'Hoppy stack up for you compared to the other top prospect catchers around the league right now? I mean, is he in the same conversation as Francisco Alvarez and Diego Cartaya, or is he a tier or so below that? I think he's maybe a, a tier or a half tier below Alvarez Cartaya just because he is a little bit older to level uh, than than they are, and um, you know all have shown some some ability to hit for power, uh, get on base. But uh, I think just because we've, we've seen Alvarez particularly do that at, at such a young age, that 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 just gives him a, a bigger ceiling. And I realize this takes off takes us off of a discussion of Ohapi for the moment. But one thing that I noticed with Alvarez is that since he got promoted to AAA, he's not hitting for average. He's and it's it's really a BABIP driven issue. But this year, uh at, at both levels, he's not really hit a lot of line drives. I don't know if that's the sort of thing that again really matters at all. But the fact that it's it's so extreme at AAA uh so far, I do wonder if maybe Alvarez is going to struggle a little bit when he does reach the majors, uh, at least in terms of uh, hitting for average. Yeah, it's it's totally possible. And, you know, the other thing I'm, I'm starting to wonder about with, with Alvarez is just how much is the defense going to be a problem in the long run? Is that something that is, is it, is it a going to have to DH some sort of profile or is it a just needs to get a get better at some relatively small things sort of profile and I think that's that's something I just don't know about him at this point I haven't had a chance to watch him play in the minors um, Alvarez is hitting the ball very hard everywhere he plays though so I think the bat is going to be just fine even though there might be some at least small questions about his defense I mean I think if you said you can take any catcher in the minor leagues for dynasty and keeper league purposes right now, I think Diego Cartaya has to be that player. Even though he's further away from the big leagues than Alvarez, there's really a shorter list of questions about Cartaya in the long run, which is amazing for a player at high A. Yeah, it really is. Uh, although I don't know, I have a certain skepticism about catchers and how well what they do at say high A, how well that does eventually translate to the majors, but it's it's a good problem to have if you had to choose between these three Alvarez, Cartaya, and Ohapi. Oh, I think I'd actually probably go with Alvarez, but don't think you can really go wrong there. Interesting too. I was just looking at the uh, catcher top prospect list over at RotoWire to check out the hard hit rates for some of these guys. Bo Naylor actually leads the top two fifty prospects um, among catchers in hard hit rate, thirty seven point four percent. And Naylor has pretty much recoup all of his prospect value and then some with what he has done so far in 2022. I think if you were looking for a significantly discounted dynasty league player in the offseason, you would have found Bo Naylor widely available 
and maybe even off of some prospect lists. And now he's kind of played his way back into top 50 consideration because the K rate has been good both at AA and AAA this year. He's walking a ton and he's doing damage when he connects. So that's a pretty big development win for the Guardians considering that they have a a clear long-term need for a good player behind the plate. They definitely could use uh, an upgrade there now. And with them on the, the fringes of the wildcard race, this is something I'm grappling with DVR. We talked about the fact that I'm I'm in the middle of working on a column of prospects who could still come up. Do you see any reason to think that Naylor could be in the majors within the next couple months? I think the way Cleveland held onto all of its prospects at the trade deadline, it, it pushes you to believe that they have to bring up some of those guys down the stretch. You have to take a chance on internal upgrades if you were unwilling to trade for veterans and you have a need at the big league level and they promoted George Valera to AAA recently if you get another need in the outfield maybe you give Valera a look because he's your highest ranked outfielder now that Will Benson's played in the big leagues they've already brought up Nolan Jones so I think there's a chance we'd see Naylor it is tougher for a catcher to come up and work with the major league staff down the stretch. Pitching being a strength for this team, maybe that's one reason why it wouldn't happen. But from an offensive performance perspective, I think he could be a pretty big upgrade for them. And I've wondered all season, if Daniel Espino gets healthy, their top pitching prospect, if he's going to be the weapon they bring up that comes in and, and surprises everybody down the stretch. He'll have plenty of innings left because of all the time that he's lost uh, with that knee injury. I mean, so far, Daniel Espino has only pitched in four games this season, 18 in the third innings. I mean, this is a guy that last season had 91 and two-thirds innings across two levels. So I would think that once Espino's healthy enough to pitch in games again, he's working like a regular starter as soon as possible. And, you know, if they're in the playoffs, he'll pitch in the playoffs potentially. And then, of course, the fall league. So I, I think getting him enough innings to stretch him out more in the future is a priority. So I, I think they could be a, a little more aggressive with some prospects and expect to just because of you know, the lack of moves they made at the deadline and the depth they have. They have to start answering some questions about some of the other players in this organization. I think that's why Benson got the chance first, because he's a bit of a pop-up guy for them this season as well. Much like Bo Naylor was a surprise moving up prospect rankings Will Benson was a first-round pick that I think most people were ready to label a bust prior to this season. Yeah. Um, now it'll be interesting to see, uh, too, with, like you said, Espino, maybe Logan Allen, uh, if, if the Guardians get a little bit more aggressive with promotions uh, over the, the next few weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Let's get to a few debuts and promotions. Miguel Vargas was called up and debuted over the final series of last week, and then he was sent back down to AAA Oklahoma City on Monday. Justin Turner is coming back from the IL on Tuesday, so with Chris Taylor and Justin Turner back, there wasn't really a spot for Vargas to play on a regular basis. I think this gives us an idea, though, that if another need opens up at some point between now and the end of the season, they might be comfortable with Vargas getting that opportunity. Yeah, I think that's what we can take away from this. And we talked about this, DVR. I think probably it was the Friday waiver show and us expressing a little bit of skepticism about a role for Vargas uh, down the stretch. But yeah, that's that's the glass half full interpretation, right? That there's always needs that open up, uh, especially because of injury and that we've now been shown that uh, the Dodgers think that Vargas is ready to, to handle major league pitching. Let's talk about Michael Massey. He appears to be one of the big winners with Whit Merrifield gone in Kansas City. Not quite an everyday role, but pretty close to it. Probably going to start three out of every four, four out of every five games. Has power, has speed. Cruised through two levels of the upper part of the Royals system. Started the year at double-A, ended up going to triple-A, had a 300 average or better at both stops, had a really nice OBP at both stops, and showed a little more power, of course, getting to Omaha. 16 combined homers, 13 steals and 15 attempts across the two levels, and a pretty good idea of the strike zone. Is he a bit of a sleeper getting this late season opportunity with the Royals? A little bit, and I think it's really because of that power-speed combo that he showed at AA and AAA earlier this year. But you also mentioned the fact that at both stops that he did hit for power, uh, batting more than 300 in both places. And yet his profile doesn't really back that up his strikeout rate is, is pretty moderate uh low 20s and well low 20s uh double a and then triple a going up to 24.5 percent but uh he's got a profile i think we talked about this with jj blade maybe a, a week or two ago that uh day is somebody that if, if you picked him up you hopefully did it for the expectation of a little bit of power but a lot of fly balls a lot of uh hitting to the pole field to achieve that and massey's really got that same kind of profile so uh, I think that the needs are, are particular that you could get filled uh, with, with Massey's presence in, in the Royals lineup. But uh, I, I think it's probably even maybe a, a little too little for, for 15 teamers. Yeah, I took a chance on him in a few 15 teamers, but that playing time really needs to come through if he's going to have a chance of helping in that stolen base category. I found that a lot of leagues where I was just sort of chasing with my last bench spot, it was Massey. Uh, versus Will Benson, who we've talked about on this show before, versus Bubba Thompson, who's getting a chance right now with the Rangers. And, and Bubba Thompson was stealing a ton of bases in the minor leagues. He's stuck in the bottom of the order right now for the Rangers, but he is playing every day. For a guy that was 49 of 52 as a base stealer at AAA in 80 games, it seemed like it was worth a flyer just to see if he gets on base enough to use even a fraction of that stolen base potential at the big league level. It, yes, he definitely worth, is worth a flyer. I did not go aggressively in bidding uh, for Thompson this past weekend, and so I didn't get Thompson this past weekend. But I think all, in the early going here, we're seeing the potential issues. He's had 11 batted balls. Only one has been over 95 miles an hour in exit velocity, which is what StatCast categorizes as a hard hit ball. That's a, a, a It's, it's a, an extremely small sample, but it's also abysmal enough that 
it it validates concerns that you might have about the amount of power that Thompson's going to hit for at the major league level. You also mentioned earlier uh, what max exit velocity can tell us about a player. Again, very small sample. Maybe there's going to be some harder hit balls from Thompson uh, in in the the games in the weeks ahead. But so far, the hardest hit ball that he's had has gone for 96.8 miles an hour. Um, So that's not even going to get him close to the low spot currently on the leaderboard uh, among uh, those who are, are qualified and have had a lot more plate appearances. But yeah, just give you an idea that if you were worried, uh, like I was about Thompson hitting enough to stay in the lineup and accumulate stolen bases, he's not off to a great start in that regard. Yeah, and I'm looking at the the minor league numbers again. The That Rotowire leaderboard is a really good guide that I like to use. Bubba Thompson had a 25.3% hard hit rate. Again, that's from the Sports Info Solutions group, so that it, it's scored by scouts and, and video folks. But 25.3% is definitely on the low side. And we're talking about a 24-year-old. We're not talking about someone who's playing up two or three years younger than the league average. He's kind of age-appropriate for that level. So this might be a really like obvious sort of speed over everything else sort of skill set. It can work. It's just uh, it's, it's a lot more risky when you're talking about someone that might not do enough damage to stay in the lineup every day or might be stuck to the bottom of the order for the foreseeable future. I think those are distinct possibilities with Thompson based on some of those underlying quality of contact measures. Peyton Burdick's getting a chance right now with the Marlins. He's not really someone I thought about over the weekend, Al. I'm curious if there's anything in the profile that you like and if I should uh, at least consider the possibility of him as a, a deep mixed league option at some point with a path to a lot of playing time in Miami. Well, I didn't think about Burdick much either. And I know he was maybe a little bit of a, an afterthought for each of us uh, for this episode. But I thought it's it's worth talking about him a little bit because he does appear to be, at least for now, uh, in an everyday role for the Marlins. And he, it's kind of like the, the flip side of um, trying to assess somebody like Encarnacion Strand, where Burdick ranks pretty highly in a, in a pretty good Marlins farm system. And yet the numbers haven't really been overwhelming and he's already 25. Uh, but if, to look at the minor league numbers, there is something of a, a power speed combo there. Not much batting average, uh, even though uh, the, the strikeout rates have not been horrendous. Uh, 25.7% at Jacksonville uh, this year. So yeah, I think he's a, a minor league guy, Burdick. Um, but, you know, maybe a little power, a little speed, um, maybe will surprise us a little bit with uh, with batting average uh, if he doesn't strike out too much. But, yeah, I, I would say if um, if Massey is somebody that I, I kind of passed at in 15-teamers, I'm definitely passing on Burdick as well. One pitcher of note that debuted recently, Cole Reagan's getting a chance for the Rangers. Unfortunately, John Gray is down with an oblique injury, probably going to be another three to five weeks or so before he's ready to return. So it could be a handful of starts for Reagan's to show what he can do at the big league level. I know the start this week is coming up against the Astros, so he didn't really make sense as an immediate ad for me in most redraft leagues. But what do you think we have here long term from Cole Reagan's? Uh, I think, you know, probably at best middle of the rotation, maybe more likely back of the rotation uh, guy who could be a, a decent strikeout pitcher. So I don't know that Reagan's is ever other than deeper leagues going to have a, a, a ceiling that makes him more than a, a streamer, but got, already got him in a couple of deep leagues um, 
and actually have him going in those leagues. So crossing my fingers uh, against the Astros this week, but um, yeah, right. Not, not a lot of appeal this year, but I think longer term, maybe somebody who, like I said, be, be a streamer in 12 teamers and more of a stalwart in some deeper leagues. Yeah, I wonder if he'll be able to pick up any more velocity, averaging 92.1 on the four-seamer in that debut. Mixed in a changeup, a cutter, a few curveballs as well. So four pitches, seems to have decent command. Could be one of those guys that chews up a lot of innings really effectively, ends up being a good long-term sort of streamer. That tends to play on and off rosters, at least in some of our leagues. But there's room for more, of course, with a bump in velo if they can find a way to get that from him at some point in the near future. Let's get to a few injuries. Kyle Muller back in action for Atlanta. I just wondered if he's got one fewer arm to contend with as a result of Tucker Davidson being traded from Atlanta to Anaheim. And not that Davidson is better than Muller, but sometimes when you've got another guy who's major league ready, it comes down to things like the schedule as opposed to who the actual better fit is for a spot. Well, I, th- I think it's wound up being something of a wash because while they traded away Tucker Davidson, they also brought in uh, Jake Odorizzi. And they also called up Oscar Anoa, who, you know, on the surface looks like he's had a pretty bad season at Triple A Gwinnett. But the, the peripherals are really not bad. Um, strikeout rate there, uh, 26.5%. Did, you know, walk too many batters, 10.1% rate there. But you know what's what's really um, what blew up his his ERA at uh, at Gwinnett was just a, a very low strand rate. So uh, I don't know if Anoa was just going to be in a, a, a long relief role, but I kind of have wondered if uh, I mean Muller had a, a fairly encouraging start his first start back, but it, I, I was sort of wondering if maybe Anoa was going to be a sixth, sixth starter. So I, I think, if anything, maybe the situation is slightly more crowded than the way it was just a couple weeks ago before the trade deadline. Yeah, with all that shuffling, too, Ian Anderson was optioned to AAA. I think the Braves have a doubleheader coming up this weekend. Anderson's supposed to start one of those games, but I think the expectation is that he'll go back down after making that start as the extra player on the roster. So you might be right. Muller might just be as blocked as he was going into the trade deadline. And maybe we're looking more at 2023 for him to have some kind of meaningful role in Atlanta. Josh Young playing in game situations again in the complex in Arizona. Just nice to see him playing again. I believe I saw these playing some first base as well. So we'll see uh, if there's any chance that he gets back up toward the uh, upper levels of the minor leagues before the season is over. It'd be great to see him in the big leagues, but given that he's coming off of a major injury, no guarantees whatsoever for a guy that many people thought was was going to come up and hit right away prior to his injury this year. And then Brady House, uh, the shortstop in the Nationals organization, might not return to action before fall instructs. He's been dealing with a, a back injury, so you might not see him piling up any more stats until 2023 in true game situations. Some other items of note, Al, Shea Langoliers, he is going to be a part of that upcoming column that you mentioned, and it sounds like there's a chance we're actually going to see him at some point before the end of the season. Yeah, and that was something that was really thrown into question with the A's not uh, trading away Sean Murphy, although we, you know, we had considered that scenario before the trade deadline, and 
uh, I know I had made the analogy that maybe uh, Oakland would go with a, a Royals type situation with a, 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 a catcher DH uh, kind of tandem with um, Murphy and Langoliers, much like Sal Perez and, and MJ Melendez. Uh, maybe that's what they have in mind because uh, the general manager there, David Forrest, he has, he made a statement on radio that uh, he would like to see Langoliers up this season. It would seem like he would have some say in that matter. So uh, I would say get ready. Get ready this weekend, whether he's up or not. Maybe cross your fingers that Langoliers isn't up this week because I think that would depress the bidding a little bit. And uh, I think get, stra- get ready to stash him. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense to me if you have two good young catchers and you know for whatever reason you're not getting the offers you want via trade but you you don't have a clear dh and that certainly describes the ace right now play the two catchers split them between catcher and dh or if one of them has the chops to place in first base i don't think that's a problem for a young player i think you're taking wear and tear off of a player who plays a very rigorous position why wouldn't you want to do that if you're in a position like oakland so glad they're gonna give langoliers a shot at least it sounds that way based on those comments uh brett Beatty is up at AAA, still a member of the Mets organization to the chagrin of some Mets fans who wanted him to be a part of a big trade to go get Juan Soto. But uh, Beatty's put together a pretty nice season at AA. He, of course, finished last season at that level and was holding his own as a 21-year-old playing at that level for the first time. K-rate came down just a hair, but the overall output jumped up considerably. Beatty hitting 312, 406, 544, not surprisingly, well above league average, a 158 WRC+. plus. I wonder if he can do enough in the final month and a half or so at AAA to prove that he is big league ready for the start of 2023. I think it's a tougher path, of course, given the lofty expectations for the Mets right now. Yeah, uh, but that promotion does, I think uh, we're not the only ones to to think of that. Um, the timing is sort of interesting, but also Beatty didn't really have a, a whole lot to, uh, a whole lot left to prove at uh, AA and just going to show that uh, you cannot spell Beatty without bat. No, you, you cannot. George Valera, as we mentioned earlier, up at AAA for the Guardian, so he'll be in Columbus probably for the rest of the season, unless it is determined that he can help the big league club. Uh, again, very young for the level. Valera also just 21 years old, won't turn 22 until November. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann getting the bump to high A in the Blue Jays organization. Really good pitching prospect, or I should say getting the jump to double A in the Blue Jays organization. A 19-year-old at double A that misses bats the way Tiedemann can is a really exciting prospect. He's quickly becoming one of the most highly regarded pitching prospects in all the minor leagues. Yeah, and from a dynasty perspective, his his rise this year is uh, a bit frustrating to me because I missed a window maybe to uh, to trade for him in dynasty without giving up a whole lot, <laughs> and I think that window is now shut. But uh, now with the the bump to, to double A, I think that raises the the specter of him pitching in Toronto maybe sometime as soon as next year. Yeah, I mentioned uh, James Wood being someone that would go a lot earlier in that 2021 draft. If everyone had a chance to do it again, I think Ricky Tiedman would be right there with them as an early first-round pick if everybody got a mulligan on that draft class. Uh, two Red Sox prospects promoted Marcelo Mayer and Blaze Jordan, both going up to high A. And Kumar Rocker will not debut in the minors until 2023. That's a little bit of a surprise. He was pitching an independent ball, of course, when he was drafted. I thought there was a chance they could start 
moving him pretty aggressively. I thought maybe he'd debut at double A and become a teammate of Jack Leiter again. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Uh, a little disappointing, but uh, I'm sure it'll be worth the wait for next year. Yeah, most likely we'll get a chance to see those guys playing together again soon enough. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One trending player I wanted to ask you about, just because I think things are getting really complicated with the Dodgers rotation, Ryan Pepio was being scooped up in a decent number of leagues. And I think it's got something to do with just a greater need for innings in the Dodgers rotation with Clayton Kershaw landing on the IL. Right now it's Urias, Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, and Andrew Heaney. Bueller still on the 60-day IL. Dustin May is nearing a return. I think the question as it pertains to Pepio and even just to set expectations for other options that could emerge, do you think the Dodgers might go to a six-man rotation at some point when you consider all the missed time for several members of this rotation. I mean, think about Urias as someone who used to have major workload concerns. He's mostly worked his way away from those, but Gonsolin lost all the time to a shoulder injury. You know, Heaney's been on and off the IL. Do you see the Dodgers going to a larger rotation, even if Kershaw's not back anytime soon? Because if they do, I could see a scenario where both May and Pepio have chances to start at least every sixth day. I, I could see that, and they've done it in the past, and without Kershaw there to, to take on a, a substantial part of that innings load, I think it would make sense. So uh, the, in the shorter term, I'm not sure that we're going to see Pepio. I mean, we, we'll know uh, because Kershaw's turn comes up on Wednesday. We're here talking on Tuesday. Uh, Andre Jackson was just recently promoted uh, to the to the Major League squad. And our Fabian Ardaya um, noted that Jackson is a candidate along with Pepio to make that start. So it might just be an issue of the Dodgers looking to see if they need Jackson to fill in some relief innings on Tuesday. Uh, and I think that'll have a lot to say about what the short-term picture is. Yeah, I think because of off days, the Dodgers can go with just four starters in their rotation until one week from today, August 16th, when they are in Milwaukee. So they've got a few more days to work it out. But I imagine the order is... May clearly ahead of Pepio if it is a five-man rotation. So those speculative Pepio ads could be for not if they don't want to expand the rotation at some point. I just think their their past behavior and the personnel they have make them strong candidates to make an adjustment like that. As promised up top, we have a level roundup. We're going to take a look at the high A level for this week. A few infielders that caught my eye. Kyle Manzardo, a first base prospect in the Rays organization, just turned 22 in July. He actually leads all qualified hitters in WRC plus across the high A level this season. You're going to be stunned to learn that he's got great plate skills. That usually comes with leading a level in WRC plus 16.4% walk rate, 16.7% K rate, and 17 homers so far in 63 games. I think it's just all bat and not much else, and there might not be a whole lot of speed there either, but uh, Kyle Manzardo, a little old for the level at high A, but putting together the kind of season that has made him pop up a lot of prospect lists. And I think this is um, 
this is a lesson maybe that I've learned with the promotion of Derek Hall in Philadelphia that I've been quick in the past to kind of disregard these kinds of numbers when they come from players that are old for the level, but they just may be that good. And uh, whether they're, uh, you know, a year or two older than the competition or, or, or not. So uh, it, I think that because of the, just the uh, video game type numbers that Manzaro's put up that it's at least at, the, at a minimum worth watching how he does uh, in the, the next level. Yeah, double A will be a great test for him, but by all accounts should be able to handle that level once he gets the opportunity. Not sure why the leaderboard was all about 22-year-olds this week, but Tyler Black, a second baseman in the Brewers organization, similar plate skills, big walk rate at 15.9%, nice low strikeout rate at 15.5%, a lot less in-game power, though, than Manzardo. Tyler Black is slugging 424 with four homers. He does steal some bases. Is this a player type that you are ever really interested in when you're talking about someone who's a little old for the level, doesn't have present in-game power, but does a lot of other things really well? Well, fair or not, I would say that it really isn't uh, because when you look at the you know the age gap between uh, Black or somebody like Black and uh, the other players at the level, if you, f- you figure you need to see some power there uh, because what, you know, what does that say about uh, his chances to produce when he gets up to, to uh, double A and triple A? So I pretty much do avoid these, these kinds of players, especially uh, at the high, high A level. Yeah. And I think the thing about Tyler Black that I'd really want to know, the hard hit rates really low t- under 20%. So What's going to happen as he faces better pitching? Is he still going to be able to spray the ball over the field and, and have that good average high OBP profile? I mean, the best case scenario for a player like this is that he ends up a long-term leadoff hitter and because of speed offers fantasy value in that category plus runs and ends up being solid in batting average. But that's a really difficult profile to bank on a few years away from the big leagues, even though what Black is doing so far is at least enough to maybe put him on a watch list. I think he's more of a watch list player than somebody that you'd actually want to try and stash away in most keeper and dynasty formats. The next player is one that I'm really excited about. Angel Martinez, a shortstop in the Cleveland organization who can do everything, which the, the Cleveland never develops those players up the middle, but he is hitting better than expected. Speed tool actually gets a 60 according to fan graphs. I Look at that and think he's going to be better than he's been this season as a base stealer in the future. Eight for 13 so far. Uh, But all in all, a a guy that I think is going to keep moving up prospect lists as he continues to advance as well. I mean, this is true of anybody at high A. Let's let's see what they do at double A before we get really excited. But in terms of the things I do want to speculate on, I'm a little more likely to take that chance on Martinez than Black because Martinez is younger and he's playing a more valued defensive position right now. And some of the same flaws exist in terms of, of hard contact, but uh, I think the difference is when you can still get a little bit stronger and you have that extra year or two that Martinez has, that could be all the difference in the world. Yeah, and the fact that he's doing what he's doing at uh, at age 20 at high A, uh, that I'll, I'll give him a little bit more benefit of the doubt as opposed to, uh, you know, somebody who's a couple years older, like you said, not a lot of power and he hasn't really been an efficient base stealer at any of the levels that he's been at so far. So that's a bit of a concern for me that as he climbs the ladder, that the, the volume of steals will dwindle and, you know, already with, you know, eight steals and, 
in a, a little bit more than than half a season. Um, that that's not really encouraging there. So you've got tremendous plate skills, some good contact skills, and decent power. So if if that just continues to get better uh, as as he goes to uh, to double A, that's really encouraging. Yeah, there's two pitchers I want to talk about from this level. Dax Fulton, who's in the Marlins organization, really delivering on the the pre-injury hype at high A. He had Tommy John surgery, I believe, prior to being drafted, slipped a bit in his draft class as a result, but has made it back and is one of the best pitchers at that level. And yet another high-ceiling arm starting to make its way up the Marlins system. Yeah, and... Also, I think somebody who maybe is getting a little bit overlooked uh, because he's got a 4.38 uh, ERA, uh, but that the peripherals look uh, all look terrific. Um, getting some ground balls, uh, getting a lot of strikeouts. The the, the walk rate's not too elevated, uh, 8.2%. Uh, so just you know a bit of a babbit and strand uh, victim, and um, it might be a case you know now of in, in dynasty to uh to target Fulton uh before those sorts of things correct themselves whether it's this year or next. Yeah, and Dax Fulton is a 6-6 lefty that throws hard and has control and as you said, I mean, there's really not a, a glaring skills flaw on the surface. The K rate is over 30%, the walk rate's not a problem at 8.2% and he's not giving up homers. So there's really uh there's really no good explanation for the 438 ERA and the 142 whip so far. I think he's probably underrated on a lot of different lists uh, for prospect lists right now, but could quickly jump on those lists if he comes out and begins 2023 at double A with, with better ratios. Strikeout rate is off the charts. Good 114 Ks and 86 and a third innings is just incredible for a, a young pitcher at that level. Let's get to one more player, Nick Nestrini. He's a name that's come up on the Athletic Baseball Show a few times as an example of the Dodgers pitching development machine, taking a player that the league was not all over, but then making him a possible top 100 prospect. Fourth rounder in 2021, he's 22 years old, might have as many as three plus pitches over time. The question will be command, but a 34.5% K rate so far this season for Nick Nestrini at high A. Yeah. Um, they also have a 10.8% walk rate. So we've talked a lot about that throughout the season with pitchers that uh, have a lot of strikeout upside, but also you worry about whether or not walks are just going to be completely uh, out of control by the time they get to the major league level. So uh, very, very promising season so far for Nestrini. Uh, and so just one one area there that uh, we need to keep an eye on. Given the age difference, uh, Nestrini being 22, Fulton being 20, and that difference in control, I'll, I'll take Fulton every single time over Nestrini as of Today, right? If I'm choosing for a keeper or dynasty league, both are, I think, are pretty similarly ranked on a lot of prospect lists. So great stashes in either case. If you are looking for some pitching, I mean, like I said, Dax Fulton's probably going to double A to start next year. And I think that's what's going to really propel him up a lot of lists if he can have some success at that level. But Nestrini could be a little bit lost in the depth of that Dodgers organization. Tends to happen when you develop as many pitchers as they do. We are going to go, before I go, I should say you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash fantasy baseball podcast. That gets you access to all the stuff that Al writes, all the other great fantasy baseball content we have, regular baseball content, of course, fantasy football is just around the corner. 
feels like no sport ever stops. We cover everything year-round. Uh, if you're a Premier League soccer fan, we've got that covered as well. Of course, they had opening weekend just last weekend. You can find Al on Twitter at BB. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast returns on Wednesday with Under the Radar. Thank you.